Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I come to you right now, Lord God, saying thank you. Thank you for all that you are. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for being available um, for unworthy, imperfect folks like us, Lord God. And um, we are only righteous through you. And I just fall at your feet, Lord God, and I say thank you. Lord God, as this interview, this conversation is being prepared to be listened to by somebody. Lord God, I pray that this interview is used as a tool to strengthen the body of Christ and not to divide the body of Christ. Lord God, I rebuke the spirit of division right now. Lord God, I rebuke the spirit of avid misunderstanding. Um, I pray that uh, if there are members of the body of Christ who don't see eye to eye on these subjects, that we consult with you first um, before we do or say anything, especially publicly. Lord God, it's in the mighty name name of Jesus that I thank you for the great work that you're going to do through this conversation, through this dialogue, through this interview, and any dialogues, interviews that may happen as a residual effect of this. Lord God, it is all about you. I pray that we all remember that. Every member of the body of Christ, myself included, the BD included, and everyone included, Lord God. I pray that we consult with you first before we do or say anything. Um, I pray that you convict us um, if we react in our flesh and um i just pray that this is used for positivity i pray that this is used for the gospel and i thank you in advance for the great work um that you're going to demonstrate thank you lord god it's in the demon trembling name of jesus that i say this prayer amen so where are you uh i'm in la I'm in LA. Yeah, yeah, I'm from LA, born and raised, South Central. Yo, yeah, man. And in fact, you know, I was even gonna mention, like, as I like set up, you know, a couple of the questions, I was gonna point out, you know, like my background. Like, I have a, you know, I have an atheistic background before I got saved, but also got a gang banging background. Like, I'm from South Central, you know what I'm saying? Used to gang banging stuff out here, you know, and, um, yeah, man. And the same, I guess, you know, the same boldness that it takes to, you know, bank on people and ask random people where they from out here is the same boldness that, you know, God can use for good and telling Amen. people about Jesus Christ and things Amen. like that. But Amen. Praise God. Yeah, man. But uh, but yeah, you know, um, I certainly want to thank you again for coming on, coming on the show. Is he a real one radio? I certainly want to thank you. Um, you know, we try to have you know, people who, you know, who love Jesus, who are well-learned scholars or just people who um, take scripture serious. And, you know, you're certainly one of those people. Um, so today, y'all, you know, we have a very special guest um, in Thabiti Angibwele. You know, this man is a pastor. He is an author. Uh, you know, he pastors the Anacostia River Church. Did I pronounce that correctly? You did, bro. Yeah. Yeah, in Southeast Washington, D.C. He's a council member of the Gospel Coalition, and uh, he authored several books. You know, um, I haven't got a chance to finish um, Reviving the Black Church, but, you know, that's one of the books. You also have What is a Healthy Church Member, Finding Faithful Elders and Deacons. Um, You're a husband. You're a father. Uh, Is there anything else you'd like to mention in introducing yourself before we get into it? Uh, those are the high points, man. I'm I'm stunned to be saved. God's been gracious <laughs> to me in Christ, man. I don't deserve it. And right. uh, yeah, praise his name. Awesome. Well, the subject that we'll be discussing is the topic of, you know, social justice, you know, yeah. the topic of social justice, which sort of we kind of can't get a get around it, particularly in America, that that does have something to do with 
race and racial issues. Now, I want you to know, uh, Pastor T, that my intention, my prayer, you know, with this conversation and this interview is that conversation, you know, um, people of, um, hold on, Satan working. What's up with my connection? I rebuke thee right when I get into it. <laughs> that means it's going to work. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That means that, that mean that's actually going to happen. Hold up. What's that? My wife messed up all year. Okay, I think we all right. Praise the Lord. <laughs> no, but but yeah, man, you know, I was saying that, you know, my prayer is that, you know, it's people of different backgrounds, different understandings, different perceptions and within the body of Christ who will ultimately, you know, be blessed by hearing this conversation, by hearing this dialogue, you know, people who, who, uh, who are saved, who want to do more, you know, in the social justice realm, but they don't necessarily know how to do it. You know, am I being too militant? Uh, when, where, and how? And also people who, truthfully speaking, don't understand what we be saying when we saying it, you know, um, and I'll be honest with you, uh, in preparing for this interview, you know, I try to listen to people who don't necessarily um, have the same viewpoint I do and uh, that I don't usually listen to because I'll be honest with you, it'll get me mad. So like a lot of times, like I won't listen to it, like I can't take it. But in preparation for this conversation, you know, I did kind of um, listen to some so I could have a, a spirit led understanding of some of the things that folks who might not agree with you or I will say. So my prayer is that it's people on various sides, not just white and black, but various sides, you know, that, that can be blessed from hearing this conversation. So um, without further ado, I'll kind of just get into when you hear the term social justice, like what exactly, what's your understanding of what that means? Because sometimes, you know, people might have different definitions on what that means in the first place. So what exactly is social justice as we get into this conversation? Amen. Well, again, thank you for having me on the show, brother. It's an honor to, to talk with you on this topic. Um, and you're right, it's important for all the reasons that you mentioned. And it's right that we start with the basic question, what is it? Because I think different people mean different things. So when you hear people who are opposed to it, they normally want to associate the phrase social justice with a lot of things that they see as negative from a Christian point of view. They want to associate it with um, cultural Marxism. They want to associate it with the social gospel. They want to associate it with uh, worldly, usually liberal, secular ideologies that they think have gone too far in undermining the Bible, undermining the gospel, um, undermining uh, you know, any number of things that we ought to care about as Christians. Um, so on the one hand, people hear social justice and they think of a worldly, secular, liberal ideology that divides the world up into oppressed groups and their oppressors um, and sort of contributes to ongoing strife between groups. I think the average person, when they hear the phrase social justice, they're just thinking about doing right by other people. Right. right? So, so it's social. And so it's involving <laughs> not just me, but other people, right? Right. And it's justice. It's doing the right thing. And so for most people at sort of a common street level, um, that's what's up. It's just, you know, doing the right things for the right people, whether you're talking about uh, addressing racism or sexism or any other kind of injustice. Um, 
the way the way I like to think of it is a lot like the the common man that common definition, um, but the definition for justice that we use in my church goes a little bit something like this: justice is doing the right thing for the right people at the right time in the right way to the right extent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what we're trying to say is there's a whole lot to get right uh, when we're talking about doing justice. First of all, you got to do the right thing for the right, uh, for the right people. Mm. So you think about Romans 13, where God is talking there about justice and government. Government's purpose is to reward the righteous and to punish the wicked. So each, each group, the righteous and the wicked, are supposed to be getting what they're due, right? They're supposed to be getting what's right. Um, the problem is that sometimes government gets that backwards. It, it rewards the wicked and punishes the, mm. the, the righteous. Um, so any true notion of justice has to have the, the right outcomes for the right groups. Um, and then it's got to deliver that in the right way. So you, you can't reach a, a just outcome by an unjust process. Right? Mm. So it may be right for me to get, I'm thinking of this example in the Gospels, but it may be right for me to get half the inheritance that my family leaves, but it's not right for me to get that inheritance uh, through bribery, right? Mm. Or, or through right. the legal process. Right, right. Um, and so it's got to be the right process. That's what's called procedural justice. Um, and it's got to be to the right extent, right? So you can't uh, punish people um, for wrongdoing more than they deserve. You know, wow. you can't reward people for right doing more than they deserve. Uh, and so justice has to have in mind all of those things. And, and it's got to have in mind things not only like punishment, um, retributive justice, but it's got to have in mind things like distribution, distributive justice, making sure, you know, people have um, what they're supposed to have, you know, distributed in an equitable way. Um, and procedural justice, as we mentioned. Uh, so justice is a very rich concept. Uh, it's, it runs throughout the Bible. And when most people are thinking about social justice, they're just thinking about building a society where people are treated right. Mm. You know, so, and you providing that definition and that context, you know, it kind of leads into my, uh, I, I can see the, um, the, the, the landscape for answering this question, you know, because some people will ask, okay, well, how can social justice not separate from the gospel as if they're two different things, you know, in what you just said, and you lay in that context, I can immediately kind of see how social justice doesn't separate from the gospel, but I still would like to hear, you know, you answer that question in your, in your own words. Yeah, I I think the notions of justice, biblically speaking, are, are grounded in three things. Number one is grounded in the character of God. So think Zephaniah chapter three, verse five. Uh, the Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail, but the unjust knows no shame. Uh, we, we could give you a, 150 texts where we're told that God himself is just. That's his character. Uh, and everything that he does is in keeping with that character. Well, not only is God just, but his people are meant to be just, right? So he gives us commands um, for doing justice. The famous text, Micah 6, 8, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and yeah. to love kindness and to walk humbly 
with your God, Isaiah 117. Again, a thousand texts where not only is God's character just, but God now commands his people to share his character in justice. And the gospel comes along, uh, of course, because none of us are just, none of us are righteous, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And the gospel comes along and, and God um, is not only just, but the justifier of those who believe in Christ. And so uh, the gospel is God accomplishing his own justice in the world by punishing his son for our sins and by redeeming us from that punishment through faith in Christ. Uh, so the gospel is the demonstration of God's justice. Um, and then social justice is simply the, the emanation, the, the working out of that justice, that right standing with God, that right relationship with God, that right posture with God, is simply working out the gospel in our social relations. Um, and so there's no contradiction at all. Uh, the gospel is the root, yeah. justice is the fruit. Uh, we see that, you know, we see that, for example, yeah. in the um, in the story of the man wanting to justify himself uh, before Jesus. And Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, he's actually dealing with the question of justification. But he tells a story about justice and mercy so mm. that the justified man lives a just life. Um, Matthew 23, 23, he's dealing with the Jesus speaking there with the Pharisees and the scribes. And, and he tells them, you tithe mint and dill and cumin. You give 10% of even your small right. spices, right? Mm -hmm. And as he rebukes them, you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, right? justice, mercy, and steadfastness. And so there's no contradiction at all between um, social justice, biblically understood, and the gospel. And, and this is why I think those of us who care about justice, we have to resist the desire of those who oppose this conversation to try and take all of this biblical teaching or, or to take Christians who care about this biblical teaching and associate us with things that are unbiblical. Um, that's just a poison pill. That's, um, that's just a way of trying to shut down conversation and to vilify. It doesn't have anything to do with cultural Marxism or um, critical race theory or anything else. Uh, it's got a whole lot to do with the Bible. You know, I think that if someone, particularly people who will be listening to this, um, who are part of the body of Christ, from whatever background, from, uh, you know, different perspective and whatnot, if they've never heard of you or I and they heard this conversation thus far, I don't think they'll disagree with anything that you've said. But that's because we also haven't gotten to the meat of any of the things that you, I, or they will have to deal with, you know, and and, and it seems like, and it seems like when we just talk about just scripture, what I'll talk about specifically, how it might apply to how you or I will react on on January 1st, 2020, December, whenever, 2019, in our day-to-day -day life, the application of it, that's where some of the, you know, the disagreement, particularly in the body of Christ, you know, uh, kind of comes in. So, like, when, when people will say, okay, I hear what you're saying, Mrs. Thabiti, all that stuff sounds great, but... How do we, how do we not identify when pursuing social justice? How do we not identify with ourselves as a black person first and a Christian second? You know, because because that's often the the thing that gets uh, set to us when we do speak about, particularly um, you know, uh, from a 
from a disenfranchised and disadvantaged man or woman's perspective, that's often the thing that I'll hear. They say, okay, well, you're identifying yourself as, you know, a black person first and a Christian second. So how do you reconcile that? Yeah, I don't think there's a contradiction uh, in that. I don't think that's something that has to be reconciled. Let me, let me tell you why. Um, in, in, in every area of life, when, when one's threatened, you have to eliminate the threat in order to be safe, right? Okay. So, um, you know, if you're, if you're a soldier, you're in the army, um, you're out on patrol or something, uh, and you see the enemy across the field um, with, you know, guns aimed at you, um, and you know there's in the next town there's some tanks uh, that the enemy has, in that moment, you're not trying to deal with the tanks. You got people just across the yard with guns trained on you. You deal with the immediate threat. You deal with the thing that's impinging upon you. Um, and so it is with African-American Christians. Um, we, we are Christians. That's our primary identity. But it's no mistake that we are African-Americans. God has made us that way for his right. glory. Um, so we don't, have to, we don't have to sort of throw that away uh, as if it's not legitimate in some sense. It's not primary, but it's not illegitimate. Hmm. Um, and when we're talking about these justice issues, I think it's just, I think people just have to recognize that our oppression in this country has not been because we're Christians, it's, because, it's been because we're black, right? And so we have to deal with the threat at hand. Um, and so that That's means a good point. addressing um, the racial injustices that, that we have suffered here. Um, so, you know, when you think about the, the 1950s, 1960s civil rights movement, Dr. King is not protesting because Christians are being segregated. Right. He's not protesting because Christians are being lynched. He's protesting because black folk are being lynched. That's the right. threat, right? Um, now, if we were in some other country, if we were in China, we, we might have to be, you know, dealing with these things because we're Christians. We're being persecuted as a Christian minority, but that's not the case. And so when someone tries to say, hey, mm. you know, you, you, you're being too black and not Christian enough, I, I'm simply saying, but that's what you're shooting at, right? And, and that's, that's what I've got to defend. That's the threat I have to eliminate. Um, and and it's, it's usually people who are on the side of the shooters <laughs> who, are saying, who are saying that. And um, we just can't be um, taken in and hoodwinked in that way. We just have to say, listen, no, this is, this is the threat. This is the issue. This is what we're dealing with. We're dealing with it like Christians, um, and, and Christ is primary, but it, it's not our identity as Christians that's being challenged, that's being threatened or um, being oppressed in that way. And so we got to keep first things first. Now, what about those people who might be on the, in that analogy, they might be on the side of the shooters, but they don't see that. Like, they don't see that. Like, in their lens, they, they just don't see. <laughs> when you say, when I hear you say that, I agree 1000% with what you're saying, you know, but I'm learning that it's people who are, who are, um, metaphorically speaking, uh, or as Jesus would say, parably speaking, you know, uh, on the side of the, um, on the yeah. side of the shooters in that analogy, but they don't see that. Like they hear that and they go, I'm not, on that side. I'm just living and I'm 30, 40, 50, 60, however many years old, and I'm just doing this. I'm not on that side. Yeah. Oh, no, I just wanted to hear your response to that thought. Yeah, well, I think there, there, there are people who say things like that with, who probably fall into different categories. 
Sure. Right? So there are people who are genuinely just ignorant. They just don't know. Oh, I didn't know that was going on. Um, and, and who could probably be helped with some conversation, you know, just sort of giving them information they don't have, uh, really addressing what is a kind of benign ignorance, a benign not knowing, right? So uh, that's one category of people, and that's one kind of conversation. Uh, but then there are people who, who say that, um, and actually they're saying that as a way of self-justifying while they're participating in behaviors that are um, unjust or problematic. Um, and, and those folks, have to, you have to address those folks with a different kind of response. It's not just information um, that, that has to be given. Those folks have to actually come by God's spirit to be convicted of their wrongdoing, of their hypocrisy, really. Yeah. Um, and so there's a great difference between a benign ignorance and a willful ignorance or a hypocrisy. Um, and, and those folks just have to be rebuked, honestly. Uh, you have to point out their, their sins and transgressions and call them to repentance and renewal um, and to reconciliation. And then there have always been Christians uh, in, the, in the American um, church who have not just been uh, sort of ignorant and, or not just hypocritical, but who just are flat out the shooters. I mean, they, they are the oppressors. They have yeah. um, quite intentionally um, argued for what they consider to be their rights over and against the rights of others, argued for what they consider to be their supremacy uh, over other people, groups, and so on. Uh, and they just have to be sort of addressed the way you would address anyone else shooting at you, uh, to use that analogy still. I mean, listen, when you think about Dr. King's letter to a Birmingham jail, that's addressed to Christian pastors and leaders who saw themselves as moderates, who saw themselves as not the, the, the conservative, racist, segregationist Christians. They saw themselves as the good guys just being patient and so on and so forth. And so that, 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 mm. that sort of posture of I'm not doing this, but I'm also not helping you, has been has been a posture that's been here from day one um and we have to help people understand it's not enough to just not be racist one has to be anti-racist as well um so if i can use another analogy guy goes to the gym he works out in the gym goes in the locker room a uh, bunch of dudes in the locker room having that locker room talk maybe they, they're talking inappropriately about women and 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 things of that sort that guy goes in the locker room, he takes a shower, puts his clothes on, he doesn't participate in the joking, he, he leaves the locker room, goes home to his wife. And when asked about it, he says, well, you know, I didn't, I didn't participate in that, I didn't tell those jokes, I don't laugh at those kind of jokes. And you go, well, that's nice, that's good that you didn't do that. But you also had a responsibility um, to actually check those cats in the locker room and say, hey, man, that's not funny. You know, you shouldn't be talking that way. You have to be anti-sexist. Yeah. Not just say, I'm not a sexist. If we want to, in fact, be people who are for social justice, we can't be bystanders. Um, these are commands in the Bible that we're dealing with. God says, do justice. Bring justice to the widow and the fatherless. These are things we have to be actively engaged in. Now, in saying that, though, some would feel that, uh, so like the oppression and racism and things that uh, people of color, that people of color might deal with in 2019, you know, it's a, it's obviously different than whatever might have happened in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, you know, 
so do you think that the 2019 experience of oppression in America requires white people to be responsible for what their ancestors did? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, this is, this is, this is, so let me tell you how, and let me tell you why. All right. Uh, this, this causes no shortage of controversy, right? Um, my, my, our white brothers and sisters, white citizens, are happy to inherit all of the blessings of this country, right? Mm. Are proud of America. See America as the city on the hill, the shining light. See it as the best example of democracy the world has known. Mm. Um, you know, there's all this heritage that Americans rightly grab onto, and they should, they should. And they see that as a kind of bequeath, a kind of inheritance that yeah. Um, they have received from their prior generations. And they see that as a heritage to hold up and to defend. My point is, you can't do that with the positive and say, oh, we don't have anything to do with the negative. Because American history also has a lot of warts and boils and sores and ugly things too. And those things too come down through the generations. The yeah. way the Bible talks about this, it talks about it in terms of the corruption of sin. Right. Um, so you, you think of uh, Proverbs, for example, righteousness exalts a nation, but um, sin is a reproach to any people. OK, what's what's the text saying there? Well, the text is saying, um, yeah, if you've got a situation where righteousness is the standard of the day, that's going to be for the exaltation of the country. But if you have a situation where sin is allowed and sin works through the batch of dough like yeast, it's a corrupting influence, right? You got all these mm. word pictures for the corruption of sin. Well, if we're going to be honest stewards of the country's history, that means we have to attend to the corruptions that we have inherited, not just the blessings that we have inherited. Mm. Um, and the country has been stubborn in its refusal to deal with the corruptions that it's inherited. So apologies for slavery have come way late and after a whole bunch of argument and debate. We, we, we still don't want to have a conversation about reparations. We know right. the wrong was done. We know the country was built on the back of slave labor. Um, we know that descendants of slaves have, have suffered not just slavery, but Jim Crow segregation, housing discrimination, employment discrimination, lynching, police brutality. You know, the, the list goes on and on and on. But we, you know, the country, many in the country want to turn a blind eye to that and say, oh, that's just in the past, and that has no effect on us today. Well, that's to, that's to ignore the corrupting effects of sin and to ignore the way the whole culture was built upon um, racist assumptions, white supremacy, and so on. Um, and so, yes, we have a responsibility in our day as the people who care about justice to attend to the things that we have inherited uh, from yeah. our forebears, both positive and negative, uh, and to and to address things that need to be addressed that have gone unaddressed uh, for so long. Let me give you a, a quick biblical example. First, First Samuel or Second Samuel twenty-one. First Samuel twenty-one. One of them. Um, David's now king. David has dealt with uh, the rebellion of his son. He's now unified the kingdom again. But there's a famine uh, in Israel. Israel is suffering. David wonders why. Um, well, after some prayer, uh, David discovers that the reason why um, Israel is suffering is that way is God is punishing them. Uh, and the reason God is punishing them, this is 2 Samuel 21, 1 mm -hmm. to 6, 
is because the previous king, Saul, had led this slaughter against the, the Gibeonites. Now, David didn't have nothing to do with that. Saul is dead. It's a whole new king. The kingdom has gone through some changes. Now God is dealing with his people. Um, and, and David goes to the Gibeonites and says, what shall we do to make this right, to make atonement? Hmm. The Gibeonites are the ones who decide what, what repayment should be and what will bring closure. And the Gibeonites say, hey, listen, give us seven sons of Saul um, that we might put them to death. That was the reparation that they wanted. Hmm. Uh, and, and interestingly, David goes and gets the seven men from Saul's house to put them to death as reparation. And God um, lifts the judgment against Israel. See, brother, I, I don't think um, many of our white brothers and sisters take seriously the notion that God will bring judgment upon his people. Yeah. That judgment begins at the household of God, and that maybe many of our churches are languishing and struggling because the heavy hand of God is upon us because we have actually not gone back and said, hey, how do we fix our wrongs here? Hmm. Not just as a country, but also as a church. And um, the church hadn't led the way in repentance and, and, and restoration and uh, restitution and reconciliation. Um, and I, I think God's hand is heavy upon us because of it. You know, a, a couple of things, uh, and feel free to uh, correct me if I'm misinterpreting you. You know, when it comes to a question like that, you know, about people in 2019, you know, uh, being responsible uh, to whatever extent for what their ancestors did, you know, that's because that in this year, in this day and age, you are still reaping the benefits, even if you directly aren't, even if it's intentional, you aren't intentionally um, doing or some of them, some folks may not be um, consciously uh, oppressing or doing things like that, but you are still reaping benefits of evil that your ancestors have done. And as a person with a just heart, it would, it would be a just thing to do to speak out about those things. It would be the just thing to do to say, yes, that was wrong. Acknowledge, yes, I do have some benefits and some privilege that others don't. And in fact, you know, you can actually use that privilege to bring more attention to it. You know, personally, I love when um, people who aren't of our skin complexion who speak out against racism because I feel like it gets heard by more ears than if you or I say it. Uh, is, is that a fair, uh, you know, uh, understanding? Yeah. I, yeah, I do think that's fair. Um, here's what I would, here's what I would say, um, in, in addition to what you're saying, not, not at all in contradiction. Here's what I would say though. If, if someone is listening saying, Hey, you know, just what you just said, I, you know, I didn't do those things, so on and so forth. Um, they might even be telling themselves that, that what they have in life, uh, doesn't really come from their answer that, that they didn't get that benefit from those who've gone before, they, they sort of made themselves, right? They're self-made people. They've worked for what they've got. Even with a person like that, I just want to say, okay, cool. Forget about your ancestors. Forget about the history of the country. Let's just take you. Do you, do you care about justice? And, and you know, who, who, what Christian, what genuine Christian will say no, right? Then I want to say, hey, do, do, do you recognize ways in this society where things are unjust? whether it's the unborn or whether it's racial things or, or me too, church too stuff, whatever. Do you see 
um, the trafficking of, of, of sex slaves. Do you see any injustice anywhere? Well, the answer to that, if people are honest, has to be yes. Right. But my thing is, if you're a just person who sees injustice anywhere, what is your responsibility? Mm. Your responsibility in your day, my responsibility in my day, is to seek justice, right? You, you don't even have to bring the historical context to it. You see a wrong, try to make it right, right? That's the biblical command. Um, and so I personally, I don't even need people to admit all the history. I, I just would want to see the church humble themselves before God's word and obey God, obey the scripture and to, and to bring justice um, in those situations. Because part of what's at play in these conversations, and, and this, is a, this is a indication of how right you are and what you just laid out, right? About the, about the ways in which people benefit from what's gone on before them. Uh-huh. Part of what's at play in these conversations is real quickly, you will sometimes find that people are engaging the conversation in a way that's designed to protect what they think is theirs, right? So they're having that wow. conversation. They don't want to give up anything. They don't want this to cost them anything. They, they're having this conversation in a way that protects what um, they, they, they perceive to be theirs as Americans, red here, white Americans, what they perceive to be theirs uh, as a consequence of um, work or, or what have you. And so there's a real self-centered orientation in conversations about justice with many of our brothers and sisters that actually has to be crucified, right? Yeah, it has to say, hey, what yeah. do we have that we did not first receive? I mean, everything we have has come from God. It all belongs to God. We belong to God. So if we are acting in ways that are designed to sort of preserve what we think is ours, rather than to do what God has commanded us to do, already we need to repent. Already, already we need to crucify the flesh. Yeah. And, you know, I've actually uh, heard and seen some stuff uh, before, you know, online where I feel like you were misrepresented and something that you just said is actually right in line with a quote. Although, although I asked a question, I was somewhat familiar with how you're going to answer the question. I want to read a quote from one of your articles, you know, where you say, I don't need all white people to feel guilty about the 19th, uh, 1950s and 60s, especially those who weren't even alive. But I do need all of us to suspect that sin isn't done working its way through society. I think that's a really important line there because, because if we are conscious that sin is still working its way through society, then hey, uh, it could be some sinful things going on. And as believers, as followers of Christ, people who want to be, um, you know, living, who we, we want to pick up our, cry, our cross and follow Christ daily, we should be conscious of that, mm-hmm. you know? You know, and if our actions, our words uh, can help, you know, um, produce more righteousness, we should do that as believers. Yeah. You I, mean, know? I think that's right. You know, um, I don't want to keep you too much... Uh, longer because I could talk to you all day, but there's a couple things that I did want to make sure uh, we, we get to. Uh, for instance, uh, Colossians 3. Mm-hmm. So, so in the book of Colossians, uh, p- particularly chapter 3, you know, I, I think it's very easy to deduce that that's about the unity that exists in the body of Christ. You know, I'll read verse 11. Um, it says, in this renewing work, there is no Greek and no Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man, but Christ is all and in all. And 
Christ is all and in all. So there is a unity in all of these different types of people is what that's saying there. And at the end of the day, Christ is all. Now, I know I may risk sounding redundant because I think you sort of answered this already. But with, with, when you hear a verse like that and we go, okay, Christ is all in all. However, there are things that are happening to a certain group of people in some situations, it may be black people in another situation. It may be sexism in another situation. It may be something going on at the workplace where, you know, uh, maybe y'all being unfair to a certain group of people in other scenarios. It doesn't necessarily have to be racism. But how do we speak out about those things, doing social justice and not contradicting the fact that the Holy Spirit inspired through Paul and said that Christ is all in all? Yeah. Um, well, I think you keep reading the text, right? So verses 12 and 13, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So what, what happens when people quote Colossians 3.11, Galatians 3.28, when they are yeah. quoting that to oppose justice, what, what they're doing is taking it out of its context and over-spiritualizing it. And they're also over-extending it. Mm -hmm. So when Paul writes Colossians 3.11 and Galatians 3.28, he's talking about the reality inside the church much of what's being debated is, is sort of has to do with realities in the world, yeah. in the wider culture, injustices and systems and things of that sort. So when, some, when you're talking about sort of, let's say, um, predatory lending, or you're talking about mass incarceration, that, those are systems in the world. Yeah. And someone quotes Galatians 3.28 or Colossians 3.11, they're taking something that's only true in Christ and using as a way of erasing the, the responsibility to act justly in the world. That's just bad interpretation, bad application of the Bible, right? So mm -hmm. that's one thing. But now you might have some people say, no, 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 I realize this only applies to the church. And what this means is any conversation of racism and stuff like that is divisive and is contrary to the body of Christ. Now what they're doing there still is they're over-spiritualizing the text taking it out of context and separating it from the ethical responsibilities that literally follow in the next couple of verses. So if right. you are a, 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 a black brother in a church with a white brother, a Hispanic brother, an Asian brother or sister or what have you, and the Asian sister has suffered some kind of racial slur in the church, you don't go, Oh, don't worry about that because Colossians three eleven <laughs> say we're all one and don't <laughs> even bring it up. Right, that's my application. You you go to the person who spoke the slur and say you have sinned by forgetting Colossians three eleven that we are one in Christ and the way that you right. spoke, we are Asian brother or sister, and you turn to the Asian brother or sister and you practice compassion, kindness, humility. You help them to bear with each other, to reconcile, to forgive. You, you, you do the gospel work, right? Mm -hmm. So 
So I, I think the way people are, are using that text, again, it's just to sort of try and set up this overly spiritualized objection to what actually in the next couple of verses is addressed quite specifically. Um, the, the sort of ethical relational responsibility we have for putting the gospel into practice, for putting that unity into practice. Mm -hmm. We spiritually have it, but we must experientially live it. Um, and we must do it, you know, in a fallen world. And so I, I don't think those things are in contradiction or competition. I just think there are people who try to break them apart rather than hold them together. Yeah, that's actually um, what I was going to say uh, when you uh, finished your uh, soliloquy there, actually, because I was actually because I, I was actually going to say that when we read that and it's saying, look, circumcised, uncircumcised, Greek nor Jew, all of these different things. But at the end of the day, Christ is all OK. Mm -hmm. It's all about Christ. Mm -hmm. One ethnic group, body of Christ. And mm -hmm. my response to that is, yes, exactly right. Which means that if someone is being treated unfairly because we are one and I should stand up for the one who's not being treated equally right. and being That's treated right. equally consistently because Christ is <laughs> Christ is all right. You know, uh, for that exact reason. And, you know, I actually can't help but, uh, you know, think of this. And the fact that this story I'm about to tell stands out in my mind, I think it speaks to our experiences, uh, you know, as black people in America in particular, you know, because, you know, I, like I told you in the beginning of our conversation, I'm from South Central. I have a game banging past before I got saved. Uh, and I remember and, and the study of apologetics played a large part in me accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of my life. Yes, the Holy Spirit certainly um, rained down on me and grabbed hold of me, but the study of apologetics played a large part in it as well. And the Lord has really blessed me to have relationships with seasoned scholars and debaters and things like that. And they open up their doors for me. I, I'm a mentee. A lot of these uh, things that you see behind me are certificates and stuff from classes from learning from some of the top Christian scholars in the world. And I'm so blessed by that. The truth of the matter is most of them, if not virtually all of them are white men. They are. And I remember being at this conference. I remember being at this apologetics conference. I won't um, say their names, but it's all recognizable names. And we were in the lobby of a hotel. It wasn't a very big hotel. We were in the lobby of a hotel after all of the breakout sessions were over and we were just talking and, you know, talking loudly, laughing, joking. Some of it was about, you know, biblical stuff. Some of it was about, I think people were talking about the baseball game, but we were just talking. But it baffled me that we were never told to leave or to be quiet. Like we were, I, I was the only black person there. I think it was one Latino and everybody else was, you know, um, older white men or some of them were younger white men, but it was like probably 95% white people in America. And to this day, I, I'm serious. Like it literally baffled me that we were never asked to leave, to go to another spot, to to keep quiet or to be more quiet. We were never told that. And it just blew my mind. I Eventually, I was just like, just looking. I was like, are the people right here? Because we were really close to the receptionist desk and everything. People walking in and out. They never asked us to leave. And we were there for 
an hour, hour and a half. And just the mere fact that that even stands out to me, because I don't think that even, you know, they even noticed that, you know, more than likely that, but that's something that stood out to me and still does as a, as a, <laughs> as a crazy experience, you know, um, be, you know, uh, yeah, man. So just hearing you talk just kind of reminded me of that, how that kind of just, how that kind of just, um, just, just stood out to me. Um, yeah. See, it's, it's, it's out there. It's, it's, it's commonplace. Um, you know, and we, and we have to, we have to deal and negotiate our way through these things, don't we? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, maybe two or three more questions and I'm going to let you go. Uh, I've heard you say that the, that in the book of revelation, you know, uh, we see some importance about the different ethnic families on earth. Can you kind of, uh, bring that out a little bit? What exactly you were referring to when you say that? Well, just real quickly, I mean, the entire storyline of the Bible is about God taking a people who were not one people and making them one people in Christ. Yes. Uh, so, you know, that, that's the whole arc of the Bible. And when you come to Revelation 5, Revelation 7, that's what you see. You see all the nations gathered around Christ, uh, worshiping him, um, as, as to use the language of Paul in Ephesians 2, as one new man, as one new spiritual ethnicity. So what becomes most profoundly important about us is not skin color, is not even ethnicity or tribe or clan, what becomes most important about us is that we're this new people. We're, we're a new spiritual ethnicity called, called Christians um, who are united to Christ by faith. And that's where we're headed. Uh, and that work has already began in the gospel. Um, and, and Christ will continue to carry it out until we really, that vision we see in Revelation becomes our reality. That's deep. That's deep. Uh, do, do you think, I hear people, I actually don't even know um, your view on, on this particular question. Do you think that black people can be racist? You know, because some hold the view where it's like, well, we can be prejudiced. Black people can be prejudiced because, you know, any human can be prejudiced and have certain biases, but being racist is power-based and we don't have the influence <laughs> to be racist for the most part, even if we wanted to it might be some people like if you're a judge or something sure you could do a racist act sure someone can uh do a racist act if they want to do a hate crime and uh, assault people of a different uh nationality but just generally speaking black people don't have the power and influence in this country in particular to do that what's your view on that yeah i don't like that argument very much i i because it, it because of the 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 way it defines racism yeah. Um, and, and part of what we need to do in these conversations about racism is make sure we're clear about the sort of levels of analysis that are involved, right? So mm. you can go all the way from the attitudinal to the institutional, right? Um, and that's going to look different across that spectrum, right? So I may be attitudinally racist in, in, in my thoughts and feelings, right? Um, but I may not have institutional power to enact. Mm. And so what that, what that view does is, is sort of limit the use of racism to the institutional. Mm. Um, and I, I just think that's a bad way to define racism. So my, my answer to that is yes. Uh, not only do I think black people can be racist, I know black racists. Uh, <laughs> you know, so, yeah. um, so no, that's, and, and I would say I was one before Christ. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't take that view. I don't, I don't think that's a helpful view. 
even though I think the, you know, thinking about power and, and the differences in terms of power, I think that's important. I just wouldn't, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't limit racism to that dimension. Um, amen. So what would you say to, again, obviously, in speaking about social justice, what that means in the different circumstances, being as we are two people in America, again, race is going to be a large part of that. And unfortunately, you know, it's a large part of what we deal with as evangelicals in the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, however you decide to answer this is on you. But I'm curious is, as it pertains to pursuing justice uh, as righteous as one can, what would you say to the people who are oppressed in a given situation and also those who aren't being um, oppressed and may have some influence on helping the oppressed? Uh, what would you say to uh, to people on both sides in any given situation when it comes to seeking justice? Yeah, I think the folks on the side of oppression, I would just want to encourage them, again, with Zephaniah 3.5, the Lord is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. So your efforts at um, social justice uh, are in step with what the Lord is doing in the world. And, and this is not new to us. Again, this is Dr. King talked about this. The moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Well, why does the moral arc of the universe bend towards justice? Because God has been in, it, mm-hmm. uh, in that direction. And so I would just want to encourage them uh, with their Bibles open and on their knees in, in prayer and faith um, to, to pursue justice and, and to not let anyone turn them around um, and to, to hope in God um, that that's right. Um, and those folks who maybe have some opportunity to help others um, who are facing injustice, uh, I, I would say not only is that an opportunity, not only do you have a, a, a decision there, but you have a moral obligation that, that in the scripture God commands you uh, to do justice as, as an act of worship, as an act of how you follow him, as an act of discipleship. And so this is not something that we can be bystanders on. Uh, this is something where we have to put some skin in the game um, and just remind them that there's great reward in that. Uh, there's no one who's given up, um, you know, houses and brothers and sisters and lands uh, for Christ and not receive a hundredfold uh, mm-hmm. in life and eternal and, and in the life to come eternal life. Um, so there, there's a great promise from God um, that, yeah, you, you might lose some things and risk some things. Um, but the Lord who sees and rewards, uh, he will see and reward you. And so do this in faith as well and uh, do what's right. And don't think that, um, yeah, you can be a bystander and, and meet Jesus on that day of judgment and, and Jesus be impressed with us being bystanders. We've mm. got to get in the game. And, uh, and so take that risk of faith. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Well, you know, uh, again, the BD Anguibuele, the scholar, the teacher, the pastor, the author, you know, the man of God. Uh, I certainly want to thank you for your time. Um, uh, I know I learned a lot. My prayer, again, is that this conversation uh, is helpful to people on multiple, with multiple backgrounds. I didn't want it. My goal was for it to not be too 
pro either side, although I, I think I clearly have my beliefs on issues like this, but I think that at the end of the day, you know, we are, you know, we are part of the body of Christ and we shouldn't be divided. You know, we shouldn't be divided on, um, presuppositional apologetics, classical apologetics, you know, um, if someone believe, believe scripture teaches predestination and someone else, uh, doesn't, they think we got free will. It's like, we can, we can have different views. I don't believe that the body of Christ should be divided, you know, especially so, um, so, so violently and painfully and with so much insensitivity and also as it pertains to race, like we shouldn't be divided on these things. And I think that even if, I I have a view that's different from yours or someone else's. I think that as a man of God, someone who is um, pursuing Christ-like behavior to the best uh, of my abilities, you know, at bare minimum, even if I'm like, I completely disagree with you. I don't understand what you're talking about. I think you're crazy. I think at bare minimum, there should be a sensitivity to a person's experience. Like, okay, evidently that's painful to you. That's angering to you. And as a man of God, I care about that, even if I don't get it, like even if I disagree, you know, I mean, that's just Veda Hedgeman's view there. Um, do you have any uh, closing remarks, any particular um, books of yours uh, that, that you would like to mention? Anything that's in the works? I certainly uh, encourage people to check out the Gospel Coalition. Uh, is there anything you'd like to shout out and highlight before we wrap it up here? Maybe just one thing. First of all, just to thank you for your ministry, brother, and what you're doing with the show. I pray the Lord blesses it and builds this church with it. I'm honored to, to take part this morning, man. So thank you for having me. Um, maybe one thing to plug real quick is you, if you're interested in thinking about justice issues and the gospel and how to bear faithful witness as a disciple of Christ, Think about joining us at the Just Gospel Conference uh, next okay. year. That's March 5 to 7, uh, 2020. It's in Alexandria, Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C., the nation's capital. Uh, we got some great folks gathering together with us. Esau McCauley, David Platt, Russell Moore, uh, Mark Vroger, uh, Vince Bicot, um, just 18 or so wonderful speakers, um, all with expertise in public theology and all who love the gospel and love the church. Um, and um, all who are going to help us to think about the kinds of things we've been thinking about here today, uh, how to pursue justice like a Christian uh, with the Bible in hand and faith in heart. Um, so that's March 5th to 7th, uh, Just Gospel 2020. Uh, you can find out more at justgospelconference.org. It's justgospelconference.org. We'd love to have you. Amen. Amen. Well, again, uh, the BD Angibale, we appreciate your time. We appreciate your, uh, your candid, uh, speaking, your availability and thank you for, you know, uh, answering the un uncomfortable questions or what some would call uncomfortable. I think we are called, um, to, you know, to, you know, to deal with things that don't always feel comfortable sometimes it might be a topic like this even if it's just evangelism man like when i'm out and i'm talking to strangers man that crap is uncomfortable for like the first 10 seconds until it starts to feel like a conversation <laughs> you know but but jesus is more important than our discomfort jesus is more important than you know uh than the clothes on my back so if i if i can spread the gospel by taking this off i'm gonna take it off because God is more important. So as we come to a close, is he a real one? Yes, he is, y'all. And the one that we talking about 
is Jesus. A-A-Amen. Amen. Amen.